Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When bad things happen in life, even faithful Christians are compelled to ask why. And when it comes to faithful Christians, we ask those questions not because we don't believe, but because we do believe. Because by faith, we know the one true God as all-loving. We know the one true God as all-powerful. We know the one true God as good, the one through whom all blessings flow. So when calamity strikes, when really bad things happen, when life goes sideways, it, it doesn't make sense to us. If God is truly all-loving and all-powerful and, and good, then why do these things happen? That was Job's Lament. You know Job. That was his lament. Under Satan's attacks, Job lost his property. Job lost his possessions. Job lost his children. Job lost his health. It didn't make sense to him. This wasn't like God at all. Now, Job's friends had a perfectly reasonable explanation, at least to them. Jumping to God's defense, they told Job, you know what? Uh, You're to blame. You are to blame for all that has happened to you. Now, we must all confess that we're sinners and that our sins cause problems in our own lives and the lives of others. That is true. But sometimes... Bad things happen through no action of our own. There isn't always a nice, tidy line of cause and effect of a particular sin that you have committed to a consequence that then happens. Sometimes there isn't always a nice, tidy thing. Like, for example, Job losing all those things. Scriptures say that Job was blameless and upright. But how was he blameless and upright? That means in faith, Job looked to God for all good things, even his own standing. He says as much early in the book. He even made sacrifices on behalf of his children, afraid that they had done something, uh, and so he sacrifices on their behalf as an intercessor for them. But with such harsh and extreme events in his life, like I had told you before. Job has questions for God, and Job thinks, I deserve answers. Job wants God to explain himself. Job wants somebody to tell God kind of what to do. But instead of fielding questions from Job, God is the one who asks questions to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. God is very deliberate in his creation. Right? In his providence. We weren't there when God created the universe. Right? We weren't there when God began his intricate work to create a place where life could happen. Everything comes from God's gracious and merciful ordaining. Everything. The heat and light from the sun, 
the air we breathe, the mountains, the oceans, the earth, everything that fills it, all the things that we take for granted were created by God for our benefit. And they are upheld and continue by his gracious almighty hand. And how often do we take that for granted? Every day. You see, Jurassic Park wasn't right. Life doesn't just find a way. The universe doesn't miraculously provide a way. God graciously, lovingly tends to his creation and his creatures. And the scope of this transcends human understanding, right? We don't have time to go through all of chapters 38 and 39. I wish we did where God demonstrates this in detail of his power, his authority, and his care for all of creation. And as God goes along, Job doesn't really get an answer for why an all-loving and all-powerful God allows bad things to happen. But in his dialogue with God, uh, Job recognizes, you know what, I'm out of my depth. (laughs) I don't know it all. Job recognizes that he has not truly considered, at least in his grief, all that God has done, all that God continues to do. So he remains silent, no longer seeking to question God and his attentions. But God's not done. We don't have time to go through chapters 40 and 41. Where God continues in detail to assure Job that he indeed has power over all things and cares for all things. He's all powerful. He's all loving. And without ever addressing the why, God's word brings Job to repentance. They bring Job to see his very limited view in the big scheme of things and that God can do all things and has his reasons for everything. The whys do not always become apparent. These are the things that belong to what Luther called the hidden God, a God that we cannot understand, a God that we must flee from. But one thing does become apparent in God's dialogue with Job, and that is this. So if you've fallen asleep or if you're taking notes, underline this. Creation is fragile. After the fall into sin, creation is broken, it's fragile. We are fragile. And even before the fall, every created thing depends on God, dependent on God for its existence, and it's continuous. So no matter what we have in life, no matter what you have in life, you have life only in God. Get it? No matter what you have in life, you only have life in God. And we tend to forget that, right? Yes, in his affliction, God, uh, Job's faith and confidence continued for a while, but he began to toot his own horn a little bit too much. But as he wrestles with this, he does understand something else that's going on, and that is he remained resolute in the conviction that God would return to his proper work. Somehow, some way, he would be vindicated. He would be restored. Because that is God's true nature and his true character. 
So he says in chapter 19, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. And then he says this, For I know that my Redeemer, that is one who buys someone back, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, right, he's dead. Yet in my flesh, he's resurrected. I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. We can't and won't understand the hidden God. So what do we do? Where do we turn? We turn to where God has revealed himself, where he has given his answers, where all of his promises find their yes. We turn to him who lived and died for us. We turn to Jesus. You see, Jesus' own life makes it clear. After the fall into sin, Something that happened by human free will, by the way. Okay. God doesn't promise a life unaffected by sin and death. But God does promise that he would overcome the power of sin and death. And he did it through his son. Because of Jesus, you are forgiven, you are restored, you are vindicated. Because Christ was forsaken, afflicted, and took all of your sins upon himself. Where was God to deal with all the bad things in life? He was there and he came manifest in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Where were you? The second of the person, the second person of the Trinity was there. He knows about all the stuff in chapters 38, 39, 40, 41. Jesus in today's gospel lesson enters into the springs of the sea, walks in the recesses of the deep. And we know what will happen to Jesus eventually. We know all too well the rejection and sorrow that Jesus endured from the hands of those who he came to save. We know that as he shared the Father's love and care with this fallen creation, he was often met with mockery, hostility, rejection, arguments, plotting and planning, and eventually, of course, torture and death. Yet Jesus never doubts the Father's plan of salvation, and Jesus never doubts his place in it. Even in the throes of great anguish and pain and suffering. Jesus never curses the Father. Never wonders what the Father is doing. For he came from the Father and knows the Father's will perfectly. He speaks the words that the Father has given him. He does the things that the Father has given him. All which leads for him to Golgotha. The place of the skull. And that's where something amazing happens. When bad things happen in your life, 
some of that suffering that you might experience might truly stem from bad choices or earthly consequence, right? I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. But I want you to know one thing. And that is that God is not punishing you when bad things happen. Because he laid all of that punishment upon Jesus. Brothers, you and I suffer in this life, but no one suffered like Christ did. And he did it for you. As Jesus hangs on the cross, taking your sin, your death, your shame, your condemnation, he knows that the Father's plan for salvation has triumphed. For the joy set before him, he does it. It is accomplished, we hear him say. But more than this, we also hear him say, into your hands I commend my spirit. Christ's life and death, both spiritual and physical, was a great price to pay for our sin and death. But it paid the price. But the wages of death that you and I accumulated were not the end for Jesus. Christ rose to life again, breaking the bonds of death, thus fulfilling the Father's will to secure for himself a holy people. So where Job answers no to the rhetorical questions in chapter 38, Jesus can say, yes. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Yes. Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Yes. Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Yes. Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Yes. Jesus is victorious and is ruling and reigning over all these things. You know, at the end of the book, Job's earthly blessings are not only restored, they're multiplied. But that's not Job's confidence. That's not Job's prayer. That's not Job's deepest yearning. Instead, his yearning, his longing, his confidence is in a redeemer, as we heard. One who would buy him back. One who would purchase him from sin, death, and the power of the devil. One who would rule and reign in victory and in power over sin and death. And then in that victory and power would raise him, Job, from the dead, uncorrupted. Why did Job suffer as he did? I'm going to say the three words that a pastor treasures the most. Maybe not the most, but it's a blessing. I don't know. And neither do you. Why does God allow certain things to suffer in your life? We might have a guess. We might have a sort of an inkling. But we don't ultimately know. It's the hidden God. But Job's life and words were written on a scroll, as he said. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And his request maybe demand, maybe prayer for one who would act as a go-between, an intercessor, an arbiter, a savior, was granted. And it was not only granted for Job, it was granted for you. So there is one thing that we can take from this. The book of Job gives spirit-filled hope that amid suffering, God's favor is always yours in Christ Jesus. We can say that for certain. 
Amid suffering, God's favor is always yours in Christ Jesus. Through Christ, God has done and will do what is God's nature to do, and that is to save. You see, Job's life is our life, and our life is made blameless and upright in the suffering and death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. Yes, bad things happen to everything and everyone. Yes, we have an all-powerful and all-loving God. And yes, your Redeemer lives. He lives victorious and glorious. And after your skin has been destroyed, yet in your flesh shall you see God, and you shall see for yourself. Your eyes shall behold and not another. God gave Job this faith amid suffering. He gives you this faith too. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.